Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525 of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Good morning again, San Diego Saints. Uh, We are continuing uh, our Simple Truth Moments show. Continuing in the book from um, Don and Evolson, The Kingdom is the title, From Creation to the Millennium. And uh, this morning we're going to tackle the 11th chapter uh, entitled The Gospel of the Kingdom. I also thought, based on what we're going to talk about, is that a more appropriate title might have even been called The Spirit of the Lord, referring to uh, Luke chapter 4. So, here we go. Chapter 11. By the way, I just want to remind everybody that um, we're not going to be able to cover all of the chapters of this fine book. Um, There are, let's see here, 24 chapters. So, I encourage you to get this book. It's an excellent book. Um, And... uh, I don't know if I shared this story or not, but I just finished a book of my, my own. Uh, it took me four and a half years to write, and it's entitled Homecoming, How the New Covenant Brings Both Jew and Gentile Back to Abba Father. And um, when I prayed about whether I was going to pick up that book um, and teach it, felt the Lord very strongly check me by saying, hold it. Um, you need to teach your colleague's book first um, from Don Enavolson called The Kingdom from Creation to the Millennium as a framework. And once that framework is uh, established, uh, then the comprehension on your book would uh, be a whole lot easier. So here I am. I'm teaching my colleague's <laughs> book. And uh, we hope to get to homecoming uh, in the near future, but uh, this is a truly foundational work. Um, I'm also cha- uh, teaching this on Tuesday evenings if you want to join us over at the Messianic Jewish Congregation um, over in the Grousemont Shopping Center. Uh, it's called Tree of Life, and we meet there at uh, 7 p.m. on Tuesday evenings. So uh, we're teaching this same book as well. In fact, Week by week, we're just about paralleling um, what's going on with the teaching at uh, Tree of Life, uh, commensurate with the radio presentations. So, all right, so let's get into this. Gospel of the Kingdom, Chapter 11. John the Baptist, um, when he began his ministry, announced the soon coming kingdom. Um, Yeshua his Jesus, Jesus Christ's Jewish name, Yeshua means uh, he saves or salvation, um, had a single-minded purpose of restoring the kingdom. But that's what John the Baptist was uh, preaching, basically repent or change the way you think. That's what repent means, to change direction, to change the way you think about something doesn't necessarily mean, um, you know, be, be sorry for. It can include that, but that's really not the main significance 
of it. It, went, it repent means you're going to do a 180 degree uh, shift or turnaround from your earlier uh, direction and path. So the kingdom was not just the kingdom; it was the kingdom of heaven. Some Bibles say kingdom of God, and um, basically it wasn't so much a place coming to another place. Rather, it was announcements uh, from both John the Baptist and Jesus that there was a new government arriving to a world full of chaos and disorder because it had been taken over by rebellious, angelic beings. Unfortunately, um, it began in Genesis chapter 3 when um, Eve, unfortunately, and along with Adam, handed over their authority to have dominion over the earth, which was the original blueprint plan of God the Father, that man was to run earth. And they handed their authority over to an, an invading angelic cherubim fallen uh, from the second heavens. If you read Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel uh, chapter 28, that explains that the rebellion began in heaven. And so um, the way the Greeks teach the gospel, our dying and going to heaven doesn't necessarily fix anything. It doesn't fix the problem that God has on his hands, which is spiritual rebellion, which began in the second heavens and then was moved down into the earth and empowered uh, by mankind, Adam and Eve voluntarily handing over their legal permission to have dominion over the earth because earth was their inheritance. So we have John the Baptist announcing a new government that's arriving. Um, Isaiah chapter 9 talks about all the different names of Jesus but one of the characteristics of this Messiah who is coming upon a, the earth to restore the original kingdom was the fact, it says in Isaiah chapter 9, that the government was on his shoulder. In other words, he's bringing a kingship. He's bringing a rulership. He's bringing a government. So Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, Yeshua um, HaMashiach is his Jewish name. Ha is the. Mashiach is Messiah. He had a single-minded purpose of restoring the original blueprint of the, of the Father. And we see that uh, beginning in Matthew uh, 4.17. And he preached pretty much the same thing, pretty much the same message as John the uh, Baptist preached. So... When we Gentiles uh, left behind our Jewish heritage uh, back in the, officially back in the 4th century, um, after the Council of Nicaea, uh, the Gentile orientation and perception changed from a Jewish circular cyclical returning or a restoration of the kingdom to that of otherworldliness. In other words, what's out there where man will uh, reject, leave his body behind, go up into the ethos or the ethereal, and become perfect uh, only in a heavenly environment. And so that's where the focus was. That's the subject of other shows. Uh, You can check that out on uh, on our podcast list where we talk about that in more detail. But the orientation of Gentiles and the perception becoming basically a, attaining to the life which can only be found when one arrives at that perfect world in heaven. But what we see here is the opposite both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ are announcing the reversed. They're announcing the return of heavenly government back to an invaded, fallen earth, cursed because of the Adamic sin. But the focus of uh, Yeshua, of Jesus, was primarily 
uh, the earthly manifestation of his Father's heavenly kingdom right here, right now, in the present moment. He proclaimed the fulfillment of what had really been established from the very beginning uh, by embracing the whole of history, especially the history of Israel. So I want to read to you a paragraph which is quoted in the book of the history of Israel in the words of from an, the author of Alfred Edersheim. And it pretty much sums up what we've been talking about. So to quote him, it is the whole Old Testament sublimated and the whole New Testament which is realized. The idea of it did not lie hidden in the old to be opened up in the new, as did the mystery of its realization, but rather this rule of heaven and kingship of Jehovah was the very substance of the Old Testament. The object of the calling and the mission of Israel, the meaning of all of its ordinances, its covenants, whether civil or religious, and the underlying idea of all its institution. It, it explained alike the history of the Jewish people, the dealings of God with them, and the prospects opened up by the Jewish prophets. Without it, the Old Testament could not be understood. It gave perpetuity to its teaching and dignity to its representations. This constituted alike the real contrast between the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, and the nations of antiquity, and Israel's real title to distinction. Thus, the whole Old Testament was in preparation. It was a preparatory presentation of the rule of heaven and the kingship of its Lord. So what we see uh, in the first century is basically the Jews already had a long history of kingdom teaching. In other words, the heavenly government relocating and being restored down back to the earth. And the Jews had an expectation as to um, when would this kingdom be reestablished? You'll notice um, in a couple of places, uh, I think Matthew 24, the uh, apostles ask uh, Jesus, um, what's going to be the sign of your coming, the sign of restoring the kingdom? And again, we see that in Acts chapter 1, before, after Jesus is resurre- uh, resurrected, but before he ascends to the Father. Same question. The apostles say, when are you going to restore the rule back to Israel? So kingdom for the Jews wasn't so much a location as it was a government. It was the rule of God. And thus, by their understanding, a kingdom was the authority to rule, and it involved the sovereignty of the king. So the kingdom teaching of Jesus, of Yeshua, followed the idea of submission to the king, but with a more internalized, interior explanation of submission of one's heart rather than the external adherence to the letter of the law. So when you what would help describe what was being introduced by John the Baptist and by Jesus when they were just beginning their um, ministries, talking about kingdom, kingdom, it's coming back, it's returning. Um, It often helps to use the word uh, rulership or kingship to describe the internal and then later the resulting external functioning of the kingdom. 
the kingdom has to be formed per, per the teachings of Jesus first in one's interior. It's a heart issue. It's the changing to become, uh, to put on the, the new man, if you will. And it can't, the kingdom can't be displayed, it can't be manifested externally until the interior makeover, if you will, uh, has already begun, has already underway. And so we see this in uh, Matthew six thirty-two through 33, and again in Luke 17, 20 through 21, where Jesus explains that the kingdom as was announced with John the Baptist and announced by Jesus was within you. Um, the, the people who were listening to this um, and all these teachings, they could obtain the kingdom by making Jesus their king. And that's a decision. It's a decision to uh, grant authority or permission for Jesus as king in the role of king to enter in and to take over. Uh, Their understanding was this. The kingship or the rulership of God, the goal was to have it be internalized inside the individual. And there was a, there's references that there was a day coming when the actual uh, outward kingdom was going to be established on earth for a thousand years. We see that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. But before that, before that establishment of the external kingdom when Jesus returns, first, the people of God in order to have this kingship or rulership function and to operate the way it was intended to um, function, the people of God needed to first learn to walk in obedience to the voice of God. Uh, The kingdom always is to be established first in our hearts, in our souls, even in, in our minds, where we talk about taking every thought captive under the obedience of Christ. That puts, that's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.5. Um, Paul writes about presenting ourselves a living sacrifice. Uh, also, how do we know what the will of the Father God is for our particular situations or circumstances? And the way to discover what the will of God is, I think he explains this in Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2. He says you have, to re- you have to renew your minds. And how, how do you renew your mind? Well, if you are taking every thought captive under the obedience of Christ, meaning to make your thoughts obey Christ, you can learn what Father God intends for you to say in a particular situation, to do, in another particular circumstance, um, maybe not to say or perhaps not to do in particular situations. And you go basically to the Father and you make an inquiry. What's your will here? What do you want done? What do you want said, if anything? So the government of God, the kingship or rulership of God, has to be established first internally in the individual before it can be manifested in the external. Now, don't forget, we've talked in earlier shows about the purpose of man was to be the visible representation of the likeness of God, which we see deposited in man in Genesis 1 and 2, and then to horizontally image out to other people that likeness of God that was deposited vertically between the individual, the believer, and God himself. That was our purpose, but that can't happen without God's government attending 
this download of the likeness of God. That's part and parcel. God's, the evidence of God's presence is his order of things. He brings order to chaos. So we see the announcement of the arrival of God's kingdom when Jesus begins his ministry. He had to wait till he was age 30. Rabbis couldn't go out and start to teach until they were 30 years old. But we see in Luke chapter 4, there are uh, 14 or 15 verses there which involve the announcement of the arrival of the kingdom from Jesus himself when he goes into the synagogue. And um, the announcement after he um, informs the listeners in the synagogue that he's going to read from Isaiah 61, and then he's going to say, um, these words are now fulfilled in your in your presence, in your sight. So let me read that real quick. Um, This is verse 16 in Luke chapter 4. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, on the Shabbat, and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. It was actually um, Isaiah 61, And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. This is uh, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It's interesting if you read the uh, complete Jewish Bible with David Stearns, um, oftentimes instead of, you won't see the word salvation, oftentimes you'll see the, the word deliverance. And uh, we don't have time to cover it, but I think you would find it very interesting if you back up just three chapters in Luke. Take a look at um, the prophecy that uh, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, um, basically the Holy Spirit is operating through Zechariah, and uh, the curse on his tongue uh, came off. And starting at verse 64, you can uh, read that, but especially verse 67. And um, it's interesting. This is pretty kingdom-oriented as well, but this is just three chapters earlier. And um, blessed, well, let's just read it. Verse 68, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. And... Instead of salvation, I believe the Jewish Bible, yeah, it says, um, raise up a horn of as a deliverer. In the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began. So this isn't something that the Jewish community wasn't expecting. They knew there would be a Messiah to redeem them, to deliver them. Now listen to what they're going to be delivered from. This, there's a lot of similarity between what the Holy Spirit prophesied through Zacharias and what he prophesied through Jesus in announcing the arrival of the kingdom. All right, and so it says in verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies. Again, the Jewish Bible says that we should be delivered from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And he's, he's talking to um, 
This is at the dedication of John the Baptist, and he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, which, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give us light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. So compare those two. Uh, and uh, we're going to explore that first line more when we come back from the break. What does it mean in verse 18 of Luke chapter 4? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We're going to take a steady and see the significance of that with the announcement of the kingdom of God back to earth. See you after the break. Welcome back. We are continuing with the study of the book from Don Ed of Olson, The Kingdom from Creation to the Millennium. We are on the 11th chapter. It's entitled The Gospel of the Kingdom. And we have uh, contrasted uh, the words in Isaiah 61 that Jesus um, read in the synagogue when he began his ministry. And we also compared uh, what the Holy Spirit told Zacharias in Luke chapter 1 compared to the message uh, about the arrival of the kingdom in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus is announcing the uh, reestablishment of the heavenly kingdom back on earth. So, let us continue. So basically, the announcement of the kingdom's arrival, the kingdom of heaven's arrival, uh, was later to be followed by a demonstration of what the kingdom looked like. And typically it would be a demonstration of God's power over disease, a demonstration of God's power over demons. And as the visible image of God, now J Jesus is doing his role his purpose is to be the visible image of God to the world. Jesus demonstrated God's character. How? Well, by bringing order out of chaos and freedom out of bondage. See, it's really interesting when, again, I um, use the Jewish Bible oftentimes to contrast what the um, New King James uh, translation would be. And oftentimes, especially David Stearns, who wrote the complete Jewish uh, study Bible, he uses the word deliverance rather than salvation. Salvation so many times uh, means for Gentile believers, oh, when I die, I get to go to from place A to place B. That's not what the... Um, that's not how the Jews view what was coming with the kingdom. They needed to be delivered. They needed to be delivered from the grasp of Satan, whether it's a um, sickness, whether it's a disease, whether it's a handicap, um, or whether it's influence or even possession by uh, a fallen angel, by, by demons, by the minions of uh, Satan. And so deliverance had a much more deep significance. And I think we ought to be challenged to say maybe we ought to start looking in terms of this arrival of the kingdom in a different way. It's just not a uh, mechanism by which we're going to be transported or it's transportation from point A to point B. We discussed that last week about Greek thinking and what their goals were and the influence of Gnosticism versus uh, the Jewish thinking through um, the Jewish uh, authors of the New Testament as well as the Old. By the way, with one exception, all of the New Testament authors were Jewish. And they were continuing on 
the message of the kingdom implementation through the covenant system, um, through the prophets, the Jewish prophets that spoke about this soon coming Messiah to bring the kingdom of the Father back. So both John the Baptist and Jesus were basically establishing the new rulership of God through proclamations. You can see that in um, the early chapters of Luke and Matthew, that both the John the Baptist and Jesus were proclaiming, in essence, and I'm paraphrasing here obviously, there's a new sheriff in town, new rule, new ruler, new kingship, new rulership. So I want to take a look at uh, the reference in verse 18 of Luke chapter 4 to the words, the Spirit of the Lord. Um, in, in Hebrew, it would be Ruach Yahweh. It's not just another name for the Holy Spirit. Um, it's used in a context uh, in conjunction with the interaction with human beings through obedience to the commands of God, which, if there is obedience in a particular circumstance, in a particular particular situation with a particular individual, it results in the manifestation of power in the form of deliverance, a deliverance type of victory, um, or manifestation of prophetic speech. So there are some examples in page 88, I'll start at 87, I want to read from the, the kingdom book from Don Ed of Olson. The words, quote, spirit of the Lord, close quote, carried significant meaning. The phrase itself, which generally is thought of as just another name for the Holy Spirit, does not actually occur very often in the scripture. Reading Rock Yahweh, Rock is spirit, Yahweh is of, of the Lord. In most cases, occurs only 25 times in the Old Testament. The use of that phrase, however, implies that this is not just another name for the Holy Spirit, which could be used at random interchangeably, but rather the, quote, the spirit of the Lord, close quote, occurs in conjunction with obedience of human beings to the commands of God, resulting in a manifestation of power in the form of victory, triumph, deliverance, or prophetic speech. Now, here's some examples of what happened in the Old Testament when um, individuals heard from God, were going to carry out his will, And as they obeyed, watch what happened. So, for example, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon as he set out to deliver the nation of Israel. You can see that in Judges um, chapter 3, verse 10. We see again the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson, and he was able to tear a lion to pieces. That's in the book of Judges, 14.19. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David as he was anointed to be king of Israel. We see that in 1 Samuel 16.13. But we can also see it in another way. The Spirit of the Lord departed from King Saul to, to contrast the opposite of obedience the Spirit of the Lord departed from King Saul because of his disobedience. And that we can see in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. Uh, another example in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Ezekiel as he prophesied. And we see that in Ezekiel uh, chapter 11, verse 5. So the common thread in these various passages is the link between human obedience and a subsequent move of God in, a, in miraculous power or in divine prophecy. When Jesus quoted Isaiah 61, when he was in 
the synagogue announcing his ministry was about to begin, the Spirit of the Lord denoted Messiah, which would be Jesus, as an anointed leader who would act in complete obedience to God in order to establish the rule of God on the earth with power. So, the establishment of God's rule would be characterized by the proclamation of good news for the poor, for the afflicted, binding up of the brokenhearted, giving liberty to captives and release from prison for those who are bound. And in the Septuagint version, version, which is the um, Greek translation of the Old Testament, which Jesus quoted, there was also included the recovery of sight to the blind. But all of these speak in a general sense of healing and deliverance, types of activities that accompanied the kingdom teaching of Jesus. All right. So, there was something else involved with this announcement, and it involved the year of the Lord. Let me go back here once. Just obedience producing a move of God in miraculous power or prophecy is seen when Messiah would be acting in complete obedience to Father God in order to establish the rule of God on the earth. But here's the key, with power. There's a link between, when, when, for example, when Jesus sends out the 12 and when he sends out the 70, especially when he sends out the 70, I, I believe that's um, also in Luke, um, there's a connection between the word authority and the word power. And see if I can find it here real quick. He, when he sends out the 70, he says, look, I am giving you authority over all of the power of the enemy. And you're going to step on scorpions and you're going to be able to step on serpents and nothing of his will by any means harm you. Now, he was connecting the fact that authority, in essence, trumps the residual power that Satan had. And, but there, I've always taught this connection between authority and power in the following way, and that is, if you want to see the genuine power of the kingdom, which is what we're talking about, the announcement of the establishment and the reestablishment of God's heavenly kingdom back here on earth, the connection between having the legal permission, having basically getting back our dominion authority to rule and reign over this earth, there is a bridge between those two words. If you want to see divine power result from your legal authority, you've got to connect those two words with the bridge called obedience. There was something else that was going on in Luke chapter 4 with this announcement of the year of the Lord's favor. It was akin to a what they call a jubilee year, wherein debt uh, was forgiven. But this Declaration had to do with debt of a different kind. It's not, it wasn't um, it wasn't economic debt. It was debt for sin. Our sin is forgiven. You can see that in Romans six twenty three. Um, slaves to sin in the New Testament context would be set free. Again, in a jubilee year, um, the s- slaves, um, indentured servants, uh, were to be set free. In Jubilee would be every 50 years in the Jewish calendar. And not only that, all property which was lost um, was to be returned. Uh, if you owed a debt, it was to be canceled in an economic sense. But the 
property, we're talking about something in the New Testament differently than just um, physical property. It's actually uh, the effects of spiritual and physical trauma or abuse would be healed. Provision would be coming or forthcoming for healing of disease. And in addition, this announcement of the kingdom is talking about deliverance from demonic influence and demonic possession. So the gospel of the kingdom, what was being announced in Luke chapter 4 by Jesus in the synagogue, referring back to Isaiah 61, the gospel of the kingdom was synonymous with the intent of the year of Jubilee, which was a year of freedom being set free and with debt being canceled. But again, in the New Testament context, it's talking about a debt for sin being forgiven and slaves to sin or be released from the power of sin. Um, Sinners would be set free, not just from the shame and the guilt through forgiveness, but also from the power of sin to control people's acts and their thoughts. Yeshua declared that the kingdom of God, as he had established his authority, um, was basically Jesus saying, I am very God of very God, but I'm also very man of very man. And as the vice regent, a regent is someone, if you know the uh, University of, of California system, they're called the Board of Regents. Okay, they are the governing council, if you will. And his authority, as Yeshua was declaring this arrival of this of government, the government of God back on earth, who was going to carry it out? Who was going to have the legal permission to effectuate it, to implement it, to put it to practice? And Yeshua, Jesus, had the authority as the human vice regent of God to bring about the will of the Father and the purpose of the Father, as we see in the Lord's Prayer, as done in heaven. That's what It was a convergence of the government of heaven with its new arrival back on the material world, the material earth, which had been taken over by invading interlopers called fallen angels. Now, evidence of this kingdom shift from the heavenly back to the earthly um, would be manifested through miracles, through signs, through wonders. And this ministry of deliverance was intended to be pursued relentlessly on the offense. No more playing defense. It's interesting when you think about uh, Jesus talked about when he was talking to Peter about establishing him as the rock, and on on that rock he would build his church. He would establish his church. He talked about the gates of hell not being able to prevail. Well, gates aren't an offensive mechanism. Gates are defensive. They're just, um, their function is to keep people away or keep people out or keep animals or, you know, whatever. You're protecting something. But this ministry of the kingdom's arrival manifesting in deliverance, people getting delivered from it, the captivity of Satan controlling their lives, abusing them, traumatizing them. Well, I'm trying to think of the uh, Lord's Prayer. How does it end? Where's the protection part? Well, at the very end of of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus only taught us one prayer. We say, deliver us from the evil one. This ministry of deliverance was to be pursued relentlessly as it established, and here's the key word, the restoration. It's a circular 
operation here. It's a circular function. The restoration of God's, of Father God's original design for the world that had been, in essence, destroyed in the Garden of Eden. There were two things going on. Yeshua, Jesus, is, is arriving to say, I am going to bring you back, relationally, back to your Father. What happened in chapter 3 of Genesis was a rupturing, if you will, of the relationship between Father God and his children. One of the main purposes of Jesus bringing the, God, the kingdom back to earth was to restore that ruptured relationship between humankind, mankind, and Father Creator. The other purpose, as we can see, I believe it's in 1 John 3, 8, um, it's kind of uh, broad, but it's worth taking a look at. In 1 John 3, 8, it says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. But here, here, this is the key part of the second part of verse 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. And it doesn't say here so that when we die, we get to go to heaven. It doesn't say that. In fact, there isn't any, any verse in the Bible that says the purpose for which Jesus uh, came to earth or was manifested was so that when I die, I get to go to heaven. It's not a transportation message. It's a transformation message. Listen, I'll read this again. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. There you go. Contrast that with what we started this teaching on with Luke chapter 4, with Yeshua, Jesus, announcing the arrival of the kingdom of God. It's, it's pretty comprehensive when you say, he came that we may have life. And people ask that. Well, why did Jesus come? What was, what was his purpose? And you just need to go and, and study, uh, for example, John 10, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, where he says, I have come that you uh, may have life and have it more abundantly. Well, unfortunately, we Gentiles, we Greeks, we linear thinkers think, oh, well, that means... Uh, I guess I get a bigger mansion in heaven, or instead of silver streets, I get gold streets that lead up to my mansion in heaven. And when you stop and say, can we go back and look at the scripture, when Jesus was referring to life, um, the place where I find, two places where I find uh, eternal life described is in that same book, of the book of John, the gospel, and he tells the apostles the night before he died, John 17, verse 3, and it says very clearly, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So you can see what's happening here. Jesus is um, repairing the rupture of the human relationship that occurred in Genesis chapter 3. And he's acting as the bridge back to the Father. Now notice, in John 10.10, he says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. It can be measured. It can be quantified. It can be increased. It can be decreased. And he's saying, I basically, as translates this, I have come so that you get to know Father God more intimately, more deeply, more relationally, so that you can talk with him, spend time with him, ask him questions, listen to his answers. Go to him with your problems. Consult him as the reservoir where all of the resources of heaven, of discernment through the Holy Spirit, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are 
available to you so that you not just survive, but you actually get used to winning. You get used to having victory. You get used to actually having triumph, which is even larger and greater than victory. So the other reason that Jesus came, and what we just read in 1 John 3, 8, was to do away with the works of the devil. That is a very broad category. And I think a lot of those works can be viewed in what we were looking at earlier with Luke chapter 4. Um, he's quoting, let me just find it here real quick again. Here we are. He's going to preach the gospel to the poor, but here it is. Here the, here's the list. Here's the deliverance part. Here's doing away with the works of the devil that we just saw in 1 John 3, 8. To heal the brokenhearted. That's restorative. That's undoing the damage of being influenced and being controlled by the enemy. To proclaim liberty to the captives. That's taught we were in captivity. If if we haven't um, if we're still under the power of sin, yes, we are forgiven. But who's gonna deliver us from the power of sin? Well, Yeshua is, that's why he came. Recovery of sight to the blind, and to set liberty to those who are oppressed. Who oppresses us? Well, we know who does that. The prince of the power of the air, known as Hasatan. The adversary. Let's get more kingdom minded. Let's understand that the kingdom is a returning process, a restoration process. It's circular. It's coming from heaven, converging back on earth through the Son of God. God bless you. See you next week on Simple Truth Moments. And may the Lord mightily bring his kingdom to you internally and externally. See you next week. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, May God richly reveal His simple truth moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K Praise. You can tell me the title now. All right.